What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. Uh, I know I say this every week, but we've got an awesome show. We are joined by the Chris Hinshaw. Chris is the founder of aerobiccapacity.com. Chris is a former collegiate All-American swimmer and a world-class professional triathlete. He has 10 Ironman competitions under his belt and has some really incredible finishes, including second overall at the Hawaiian Ironman World Championships and a first place finish in Ironman Brazil. Over the last decade, Chris has established himself as one of the top endurance coaches in the world. And what I imagine he's probably most notably well known for is that he works with the top CrossFit athletes. And I'm talking about the likes of Rich Froning, Matt Frazier, Tia Claire Toomey, Katrin Davis daughter, Jason Kalipa. I mean, it is literally a who's who of CrossFit Games champions, both on the men's and women's side, literally the legends of the sport. And uh, in total, and this is crazy, and I actually had to make sure I wrote this down correctly. He's helped coach 30 CrossFit Games champions and 43 CrossFit Games podium athletes. It's just astounding. And uh, man, I loved our conversation today. It was wide ranging. And uh, Chris actually opened up about some things that I was completely unaware of, including how did he actually get into coaching? It's probably not the journey that many of you would expect. Uh, But we talk about what it's like working with these top tier athletes, how he approaches coaching itself and what he believes sets himself apart from other coaches in the space. And then we talk about some of the basics of aerobic capacity training. So it was a fantastic conversation. I walked away from it really motivated. And uh, as I discussed with my wife, as soon as I was done, I had to go do something around the house. I was too fired up. So you know, I hope you enjoy this one. Whether you're new to the show or you've been listening for a while, please, please let us know what you think. If you want to reach out to me directly, uh, you can either do that on Instagram at the underscore professional athlete, or you can go to kengunter.com to get in contact with me. Or, and it's always much appreciated, leave us a rating and a review, especially if you're on Apple or wherever else you're listening to it, subscribe to the podcast so you can continue to get the show every week. Uh, We certainly appreciate it. After we're done talking with Chris, also please make sure to stick around to the end of the show where, as always, I run it by my wife, Sonia Gunter. And we have another good conversation today, including the not talked about topic enough of flying squirrels. So stick around. We've got an awesome show today. And without further ado, let's welcome Chris to the show. Here we go. I gotta get up. I got too much to do. Yeah, I gotta get going. I gotta talk to you. It's time to start. Well, first and foremost, you know, thank you for making the time on a weekend, no less. I appreciate it. Oh, well, it's nice to be here. I, yeah. I you know, it's been a while since I've done a a podcast, and so I think this one will be where there's no rehearsed script. You know, yeah. Oh, do you do some with with rehearsed scripts? <laughs> no, but it's more like you get comfortable in telling the same thing over and over, oh. and it just becomes almost like um, habit or instinct. And so when you have a break. It's almost like when you're you're not doing this, like I do a lot of outside teaching. And right. when you have a long break, you forget your patterns and how you arrived at that content. So 
Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. So I was just talking to my wife about this. Like, you know, when, when people come on, I try and prepare, right? I, I try and research about them. Um, but I try and only research to a point where I can ask somewhat relevant questions. Yeah. Um, like I, what I don't want to do is listen to previous podcasts kind of cause to your point, I don't want to subconsciously just start leading you down the same road. Right. You know, the, the last three people did and then the listeners aren't getting anything new. So I'm completely with you there. Um, well, we were catching up beforehand a little bit. And what I didn't realize is that you worked in tech for almost 25 years. Sales, executive level sales. Yeah. That was my dream. Yeah. Okay. So it was the dream. What, what changed? It wasn't satisfying. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that, that I really admire about talking with people that are older is if they have specialized in a particular craft, a skill, okay. uh, and they've spent some time there, their, their knowledge is rich, it's deep, and I find that appealing. And mm. one of the things, if you're in an area for a long amount of time, you and, and you're good at it, you yeah. start seeing patterns um, and being in sales and working with commodity managers, purchasing managers, directors of materials, mm-hmm. you know, the purchasing side, you begin to see those patterns of behavior. And um, with a lot of exposure, those patterns are almost predictable in order to satisfy them. And so once I kind of figured out the, the, the game, um, it, it started to lose interest because there was no more risk. There, the, yeah. the, the buzz for me is the unknown. Hmm. And if it starts turning into automation, I get bored. And that's what I got distracted during, you know, one of the most important jobs of my career and being a part of West Coast from Mississippi West of oh, okay. five, $500 million company, I was le- looking over the fence for something better. Yeah. And, and not in terms of, of a similar job, a hobby I was looking for, you know, like mm. something to occupy my time, something to keep me motivated. So I, I, I laugh when you say that because it's funny, even at my, my first job and I'm very fortunate where I work. If you're yeah. listening, uh, because it's actually a great company. And and fortunately, what we do is really interesting. Um, and I'm not going to bore people with that right now. But, you know, I remember my first job, my first sales job, I was in a meeting that for our company was a really big meeting. And yeah. um, our, our chief revenue officer was in the meeting too. And I just had this realization. He was maybe 30 years older than I am um, at that time. And I was sitting there and I was like, you know, I'm not even that energized for this meeting. And I was like, and he's sitting in this exact same meeting too. I was like, is this what I want to be doing in 30 years? <laughs> you know, like, like to your point, like I'm already even at a, you know, in a five year time span, starting to see some of these patterns emerge and you kind of like lose that, that energy of the unknown. Um, right. So right. I can, I can relate to that a lot. So what, you know, for you, I guess, what was that hobby that you found? Well, so I had always been involved in health and fitness, like the sport of triathlon. So, mm-hmm. um, I did the sport of triathlons back in my college days. So in my, my, from 18 to probably 27 years old. And really, you were, you were doing triathlons that early. Yeah. So in the eighties, so this was when triathlons really started to, to shape its direction. You know, it, there was an early 
thought process in triathlons that you had to be a big individual in order to do it because these, mm. these, the, the volume was so significant that you had to be strong and strong was, you know, these oh, 200 really? pound guy. Oh yeah. And I that come along so counterintuitive now, just, I mean, I guess now what I envision, uh, you know, a, tri- uh, a really like elite triathlete, that's not what I picture. Yeah. Cause they were, the belief was, is you had to have power, you had to have speed and strength. And it was, it was a weird time because there was these, these two populations of people competing and I'll, I'll never forget. I mean, the, I, one of the early races that I did back in 1983 was a, a race in Northern California. And I'm standing there. I had just done the Ironman five months prior. So the one in Kona. Okay. Um, and I was a decent swimmer. I think I exited the water first or second in that event in, in Kona. And wow. Okay. I was on the front line of, you know, of a starting line with 800 people and we were getting ready to storm, you know, the beach into the water, attack the water, uh, you know, the lake. And, um, there was a bigger guy, you know, 200 pounds behind me and he's all, Hey, little kid. Now <laughs> I'm 19. Right. And as a 19 year old, I was, I was on the smaller side and, uh, I turn around and it's this bigger guy, you know, and, and he looks at me, he's all, you don't get out of my way. I'm going to run you down. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what is happening? Like I'm getting like, well, luckily there was a guy by the name of Scott Molina, who was one of the original CrossFit superstars. Oh, okay. Uh, His nickname was the Terminator because he literally won anything and everything. And um, he was standing next to me and he's all, and he turns around, he's all, that's that Hinshaw kid. I think he could handle himself in the water. Okay. And, and it was nice. And that was like a moment for me where one of the people that I genuinely respected and I was shocked that one, he knew who I was, but two, he stuck up for me. Yeah. And it made like a lot of these things as an athlete have shaped myself as a coach. Hmm. And, and I recognize now that, that it doesn't matter who you are. Every athlete um, at the highest level has, has fear of the unknown. And it's nice that if a coach is, is somewhat like welcoming and, and uh, nurturing in a way versus intimidating and, and being a bully. Yeah. And I, it's, it's good to hear that. And I think that is becoming, um, what's the right way to phrase that? Like more Mm well-received, um, you know, like, it, so I played college football and, uh, again, of course, being from Seattle, I'm a big Seahawks fan, but Pete Carroll, yep. right. Yep. As far as like an NFL mentality, like he's very much like, Hey, like, you know, coach the individual, like speak to them in a way that they're going to respond to. And we, we don't need to tear these guys down. Right. We can actually find a way to build them up and like probably get more out of them rather than yep. taking the intimidation route. And, you know, I, I, I played for both. And I can say resoundingly, like, you know, when someone like showed some belief in you and a little bit of validation, yeah, you know, if, if it can give you that boost to the next level in terms of self-confidence, I mean, that can take you so much further. I totally so, agree with you. And yeah. I think the mistake, like I look back on my career, I just did what I was told. It wasn't an environment where I can ask questions of, why don't I have a finishing kick? Why is it that I can't win a sprint to the finish? Hmm. I didn't even have an environment to be able to ask those questions. I just did what I was told. 
Oh, and, and this is this is in college. Yeah, and it was oh, like wow. my voice didn't matter, and I could have been better. I mm. could have been better if there was an environment where there was this exchange of information. Yeah, because I never understood the purpose of the workouts that I was doing. Like, what's the reason we're doing ten by one mile? <laughs> the second time in a week. Did you forget we did it earlier? Or is this some reasoning? And yeah. I was not putting as much emphasis into these, these training programs because I didn't feel a part of it. Yeah, Nobody did. And that was the environment. It's, yeah, I think it probably depends on the person too, right? Because there's some athletes, it's like, hey, run through that wall. And they're like, okay, done. No questions. But, you know, I would say myself and, and a lot of people who are really successful athletes, to your point, like they want to understand the why. And when that's effectively communicated, I, I feel like that you just get buy-in, you but know, it, like. Exactly. It's the same thing, though. Like you have your job and you're going into work. If mm -hmm. you were just told by your boss, your coach, do it, do it. It's like you're now a, a kid and a parent's ordering you to take out the trash, to mow the lawn. Right. And it's like your voice doesn't matter. And so what you're going to do is you're going to step back versus getting vested. And if yeah. you're involved in this process, if you're a participant and you own it, mm -hmm. now the behavior changes. And I like where this generation that is the core, the younger generation in the workforce today is asking these things. Mm -hmm. They're changing managers behavior. Yeah, I would, I would completely agree. I would say that's accurate. Yeah. So, which is, which makes a better employee because, you know, these kids nowadays, they're openly saying, I'm only going to spend three years max at this job. And then I'm moving on. I'm out right. of here. There's no yeah. commitment on their part. And the reason was, is because there was no commitment by management. Mm -hmm. Well, now management's involving them. They're taking their ideas, you know, before, like when we were talking before we started recording, Yeah. you know, I did a lot of tech sales into Apple computer in, in Cupertino, California, right? The mothership. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Apple created a campus where they didn't want people to leave. You came uh, to work and basically you need a place to sleep. No problem. We got it for you. You want a place mm -hmm. to eat? We got you know, five-star chefs sitting there making any type of food that you want. Right. They were taking as much as they could out of these people until they were smoked, till they were fried, and then they kicked them to the curb. Right. But it was catering to their lack of commitment as well. Well, hmm. now that thought process is like, wow, we're going to put a lot of time and energy into these individuals. Why do we want to kick them to the curb? We're, we're essentially training them with our methodology. Mm -hmm. Why do we want to keep replicating that over and over and over again? And so these kids are making a change and that movement's taking hold. That's why people are able to work at home now because yeah. the workers are proving they're responsible. They don't need mom and dad watching over them to make sure they're cranking out work product. Exactly. And, and, and at least not the, the employees that you want, right? Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure at some point, like, you know, those who can are going to get filtered out, but yeah, I'd say you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. If you're personally invested in any sort of cause, I mean, you're just naturally going to give more. Um, yeah, and so that's I, important. I, yeah, and I think like you said, right, it's that having a voice, mm -hmm. which is so critical. But that's a part of athlete ownership too, is that if the athlete doesn't have a voice, if they don't own, if you're a coach and you write a workout 
and you explain yeah. the purpose of that workout, you eventually hand it off to the athlete to perform. Hmm. Well, in reality, we don't know if the, the athlete is executing it to what you really imagined it to be. You don't yeah. know if they're doing, let's say, maximal intensity or 99% or 98%. You don't know. Right. And so you have to, in some way, get them to take that ownership so that they actually do put in that effort, but it's voluntarily, not by force, not because you're yelling and screaming. They right. did it by, by, by a choice. Yeah. So for you personally, right, uh, how, how do you approach that? Like, uh, like you said, right, you, you can, to the best of your ability, try and give them a voice, but ultimately they need to like take that ownership. Um, like over the course of your career, have you found effective ways to kind of like help bring that out of your athletes or at least uh, create an environment where that's, you know, kind of able to happen? Yeah. So there's, there's really, there's, I mean, the core way, one of the ways that I, that I started writing workouts was I was, I was trying to create these progressions where workouts would build and, and progressively get more and more challenging. And mm -hmm. If, if I start out and let's say with you, I want to build up your running capacity. And so we're going to do a workout that it's 10 rounds of one minute of running with, with one minute of walking. Okay. Well, let's just say I want to get you up to 30 rounds of one minute of running with 10 seconds of rest. Well, you're looking at 30 rounds, one minute on 10 seconds of, I can't, that's impossible. Hmm. So what we do in training is we gradually dose the body with a particular stimulus, in this case, yeah. running, and I'm gradually week after week increasing the volume. Mm -hmm. And then that stimulus is going to create an adaptation, which yeah. is your body's going to get comfortable and do more volume. Right. The problem is, is that you look at that end number and you're like, impossible. But if we take a gradual approach, the body adapts in that. And that's how you would build as a coach a particular direction, whether it's speed, strength, volume, um, you, would, you would focus in that particular way. And, and when I would write these workouts, I was thinking, how do I get an athlete to want to take the next step versus yeah. me pushing it? That's a trick. Like, how do you get them to voluntarily do something more difficult? Right. And so what I started doing was writing workouts that, hey, your next workout is this one. Oh, but by the way, there's the next workout beyond that. So I'm showing you both options. Hmm. And if you feel that this workout's too easy, you could leapfrog ahead. So okay. a good example would be is let's say like you wanted to, let's say you wanted to get better at climbing a rope. Okay. All right. Your, your, your goal is to, to work on the pull. How am I going to do that? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write a progression that it's going to say, we're going to do one rope climb. And then I'm going to have you do a static hold on the rope before you get off of the rope. And so that hold on the rope, that time under tension, let's say it's 10 seconds. So you climb the rope once you're going to hold for 10 seconds. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to not let you sit around and do nothing for recovery before doing the next round, I'm going to have you hop on a concept to ski erg and I'm going to yeah. take that same pull pattern, but do it in a recovery format. So let's just say you do oh, a, okay. minute, a minute, nice and slow. That's how runners or endurance athletes build capacity. They'll do a hundred meter sprint and then they'll do a 300 meter jog instead mm -hmm. of three minutes of rest, right? They're focusing on building volume, but the intent 
is they build it through the recovery side of the equation. So uh, you, so okay. you would do instead of sitting around and doing nothing between your rope climbs and static holds, you're going to row for, I mean, pull for a minute, slow it's recovery. Yeah. And let's just say that you do that five times through. So there's your workout next week. You come back and your workout's going to be this. I want you to climb the rope one and a half times with a, the same 10 second hold and the same one minute that's workout option one. Okay. Or you're going to climb the rope one time. And instead of a 10 second hold, you're going to now hold for 15 and then you're mm. going to do the one minute. So I'm going to give you a choice. Which one do you want to do? Right. And each week, what I'm going to do is dangle that one and a half rope climbs. And I have to have it there because the goal is to climb the rope, not more static hold. Right. So every week I increase your static hold 15 seconds, 20, 30. You want to go back to 10 seconds? I need you to climb the rope one and a half times. And then we'll reset. So if you want to sit there and static hold for a minute, it's fine by me. We're still getting progress. But what I do is I build the workouts where the athlete has the option to progress. Oh, I love that. And what happens is the athlete will always go in the ultimate direction by choice. I'm not making them do anything. Yeah. What I'm telling them is, is that you by choice are going to go that way. So, you could easily do that in a, a program like a couch to 5K, where it's a combination of jogging and walking. Hmm. You know, I, I, I'm totally comfortable with you jogging and walking. And each time I'm going to increase the total amount of time that you're going to be doing it. But if you're willing to change the intensity to where it's now a run and a walk, meaning it's a higher level of intensity, I'm going to reduce your volume down to the original 15 minutes Mm -hmm. of total work. And they're always going to go in that Mm. direction, but it's a choice that they have. You're empowering them as part of the process. And that's where I've evolved as a coach is that, you know, you work with enough kids, kids are tired of being told what to do. And there's no difference if you are, in your 30s or 40s and life got in the way of your fitness, right? You're, you're mm-hmm. now overweight um, because of the stresses of your job or family or a mortgage, whatever it is, yeah. and you've lost your fitness. Those insecurities that kids have are the same that those people have. And what hmm. I've realized is that if you're going to make a connection for them to come back and be coached by you tomorrow, then you have to involve them in the process because of insecurities that they have Hmm. and elites are no different. The elites of the best of the best CrossFit games champions, the same exact thing. Matter of fact, they're in my opinion, even more fragile because they've built this house of cards based upon prior performances. And if I pull one of those out now, doubt creeps in and now they're starting to plug the dike with their fingers. And those are the most dicey, but it comes back to what I said. You've got to involve them all in the process. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Hey, so here's here's something, and we we started going down this path, and I'm just now I'm I'm dying to know. So I didn't realize that you had worked uh, in tech for so long. I mean, I mean, 25 years. To your point, right? You were a a senior sales executive controlling a <laughs> Western a United States, right, for a major corporation. So. Yeah. 
you know, we talked a little bit about you started doing triathlons early on. I mean, I, I hope it's fair to say you are like the authority on endurance training, right? Like you, when aerobic capacity gets mentioned, I feel like your name right now is synonymous for good reason. So Thanks. how did that transition happen? Right? Because I guess I'd imagine a lot of folks listening would have just assumed that you have kind of been on this path, you know, for <laughs> decades, right? Like maybe you went yeah. to school for it and you were a track coach or, but it, it's not that at all. So can you talk a little bit about that journey? Sure. So I was always back in my triathlon days involved in coaching. Matter of okay. fact, I worked for Apple computer when I, as, as a consultant, I would go in and, and give speeches in Apple in the eighties no kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was like health and fitness talks, motivation talks. That's um, amazing. Yeah. And it was mostly just to get in front of people and and to to find a way to communicate. And that's what actually made the, the transition into sales easy because I was already in front of, you know, tech people giving talks and convincing yeah. them of of my product. Mm-hmm. And and so the problem was, is that there wasn't any money in, in coaching. There wasn't a way to survive. And even though I had a huge amount of connections coming out of that, right. I mean, knowing the, the, the family that owns Shimano bicycle and fishing components, like knowing Mm -hmm. that family, it's like, which was amazing, but you can't parlay it in anything. And so Mm. the natural segue for me was, was really just getting into sales and, I found that I had a, 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 a gift in doing it. Um, I was, I was pretty good at that. Yeah. And, and a lot of it was, is I'm not intimidated by the, the purchasing managers and their tactics, right. You know, on-time delivery and quality, and we need to continue price reductions and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I was, I was really selling based upon value. Um, I was trying to find ways that, that created value in a, um, a unique way. So some of the ideas that, that I had and that we implemented was you have a, a very tight schedule in terms of, of your R&D um, development program. So mm-hmm. we don't have enough time to wait for you to generate drawings and samples and prototypes. I'll tell you what, I'm going to put three engineers inside of your building. They will work for you. I'll pay them. They're going to make all your prototypes, all your drawings, all your samples for free. Oh, and wow. that way we can compress the schedule. Yeah. Well, the reason, and all I wanted out of that was, is I wanted to, to be able to have a opportunity to bid on the project when it went into production. And so, <laughs> so smart. And the way that you would get these, these deals was, is that you had the supply chain figured out. You had better information most of the problem that you have when you're quoting a particular project is that you just don't have the luxury of time. Mm-hmm. If you have more time, you could find better sourcing and you could find different pricing opportunities and, and yeah. just in time delivery to reduce inventory costs. I had all of those. And so, you know, I would put those programs into place and there was nothing different what I was doing in the sales world that I didn't do in the athletic world, in the athletic mm. world, I was trying, you know, I had a $2,500 camping Nolo disc wheel that was given to me as a sponsored athlete. And that was good for about a minute of free time in a 40 kilometer time trial bike ride in a triathlon. Okay. And 
that was a competitive advantage. And so I was trying to find as an athlete, you know, maybe I replace all my bicycle components that are stainless steel with titanium components. And now my bike all of a sudden weighs a pound less, those types of things. And yeah, trying to find efficiencies and advantages. And so, so your mind always operated in that way, no matter what you were doing. Yeah, always. So as a sidetrack, as a kid, I had a huge OCD problem and I didn't know. So as a kid, you don't know when you're normal or yeah, you don't know you? your weirdness is. <laughs> so I would, I would take just walking down the hallway in my house. I, I had a tendency to want to hit the front side of an object and then flip the back side and hit it. And if I didn't hit it, I'd have to start all the way over again. And I was walking down the hallway one time when I was in seventh grade with my best friend and the overhang that we were on, it was held up by these steel pillars. And um, I was tapping them and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, that oh, brings me luck. And he's like, freak. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wait. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, no one does do that. And I stopped doing it. But what I oh, did- Oh, you were able to stop. Interesting. Well, it doesn't just go away like that. So what I yeah. did, is I started internalizing that tap one side, tap the other. And so I realized that if I can manipulate a conversation, I Mm. can guide my question to make you answer in a certain way. And since I know what your answer is going to be, I already have the next question cued, which I basically can do that in a conversation. Yeah. And so that's what it turned into be. And and I got to where I could do that really fast in my head and guide conversations so I was actually started the sport of CrossFit. Um, I went to the original gym, the mothership um, in SoCal, California. And I went there to mostly restore my, my health from doing, you know, eight years of competitive triathlon training and, and my body was just messed up. And when I went into the gym that day, I left the first day. I didn't even go to the class. I was so intimidated. I, 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 I had to recalibrate my perception of myself versus who I actually was. I thought I was, you know, when we talk about guys like you back in the day, I know when you say those words, you're about to brag about your football days, right? Back in the day when I was playing football, I'm like, here it comes. Oh boy. Here we go. This guy brought, this guy brought me on just to tell me about his, his last game senior year. Right. Sit through it. Right. And so I carried that with me of my impression of myself into the gym that day. And, and Mm. I immediately recalibrated on that hour long drive home of like, wow, you know, I'm not who I think I am anymore. That person that I did all of that with is, is gone. I'm now afraid to exercise. And so I went into the gym though. And, and the first thing that I realized was, wow, look at the excitement, the passion that these coaches have. Mm. And I realized immediately the contrast between what I was doing in my career versus what they were doing. I was a robot and I was great at it, but it was autopilot. There was no, and I started to really wake up from that moment on. Well, I got into just taking some people out to the track with me and I started running again, thanks to CrossFit and just working, you know, the neglected muscle groups and just getting yeah. my health and fitness back. And, and what, started, what year, around what year was this? That was 08. So, 08, 08. Okay. Yep. So I, three years later I ran 
So 2011, 12, 13, I ran sub five minute miles, so 60 second, 400, okay. um, <laughs> 50 years old. And I, people were coming out to the track. I was running three days a week and I was just running health and fitness. Well, next thing you know, there's 20 people out on the track. Mm. And I was only doing it spare time. I was just, you know, I would go to the track after work and next thing you know, there's 20 people. And right. That op uh, that opportunity, you know, eventually led me into coaching Jason Kalipa, who was a CrossFit Games champion in 2008, and he asked me to coach him in 2012. Ah, okay. Um, and what that turned into was coaching him in what I know on how to build aerobic capacity. How do we yeah. take a speed strength power athlete? and give him a better balance in his overall fitness. And mm -hmm. he went on uh, that year in 2013 at the games to dominate every endurance event. Um, and mm -hmm. this was a guy that would finish dead last. I mean, this guy was so bad in his endurance that in a, in a seven K run uh, in 2009 at the games, he passed out with hundred meters to go, you know, in I've, a seven K. So, you know, it's funny. I, so I've actually never been to a CrossFit class. I've always, I've always wanted to, I, I don't know why I haven't to this point now. I mean, I'm just, I'm so busy and I live out in the country. It's like, yeah. and I, I've kind of found my own lane, but uh, yeah. I love watching CrossFit content. I love yeah. the documentaries. I love watching the stuff on YouTube. Like if I need a little motivation, I throw it on. So I'm very well aware about a lot of the stuff that's happened in the sport without actually doing a CrossFit class. Yeah. Um, so like the stuff that you're saying about Kalipa, I, I completely remember seeing, I mean, he's a big guy. He's not tall per se, but I mean, he's, 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 he's jacked. Yeah. He's, Oh a, my gosh. He's so big. I, when I met him the first time, um, actually the second time I barely remember cause I'm a fan of the sport. Right. And the first time yeah. I met him, I, I, I messed up that conversation. I was so nervous, but the <laughs> second time I, I sit down with him and it's kind of, um, like you do with any new athlete, you're going through like an assessment protocol of finding mm -hmm. where's the opportunity so that you're not wasting the person's time. And I asked him, I said, how much you weigh? And he's like, 208. And I'm looking over and I'm like, I would say 230. And he kind of did <laughs> a little bit. And he's like, well, you know, I won the CrossFit Games in 2008. And so I like weighing 08. And I'm like, oh my God, you're an adult. And that's something like a high school kid does on their, their basketball statue. Right. <laughs> right. Like, oh, wow. Which I liked because it was yeah. like, he's now like, this is a fun guy because this yeah. journey is not going to be that easy. And uh -huh. um, yeah, so he actually gave me a really good opportunity um, because he introduced me to some others. Um, okay. And that year I, I, I coached three people that went to the games and they got second place overall fifth and ninth. Oh, wow. Um, and then through and this that is 2012, 2013. So the competition at this point has like really grown and it's, it's oh not legit legitimized is I don't think is the right word, but it's, it's taken a huge leap, right. In just like yeah. four to five years from where it was when, when Kalipo initially won it. So that's, yeah, that's a pretty well, big deal. Well, and I changed, so I was very controversial because I was, oh, okay. I didn't, the, the, the things that were being done in the sport and, and granted I came from experience because I'd been doing the sport for five years. And so I understood what was 
the, the, the task? What were they trying to accomplish? And so I knew the variables and it didn't make any sense to me if the average time domain of a CrossFit Games workout was eight to 10 minutes, why is everybody training at anaerobic fast twitch, you know, low volume, long mm-hmm. recovery? I, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. You're not putting the right stimulus on the body to create adaptation. So I, and I was heavily criticized and I love Jason and, and Garrett Fisher and Neil Maddox for sticking by me that year and defending me because I made them run 20 miles and ah. people told them he's ruined you. You will never recover. And they went and dominated. Yeah. And it changed the sport. It changed it. Um, you know, this concept of pacing in 2013 and f- in 14 was unheard of. Yeah. What do you mean? The, the job is to go as fast as you possibly can. That's how you actually can create the greatest amount of work. Yeah. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And it, what I love too, though, is in 2016, I had changed the sport so significantly that CrossFit HQ came to me and said, you know, you have an aerobic capacity course, a seminar that you do on your own. Mm -hmm. We'd like to partner with you. And that to me was a wake up call that they're recognizing the sport evolves and if there are other ways to create greater function or functional fitness, then yeah. we want to be a part of it. And I, I respect that, that they're not so fast in saying, you know what, it's our way and only our way from day one. They're right. evolving. And they could, yeah, because to your point, they could have just like shifted the structure of the events in the games. They're like, ah, you know what? We don't like the way that this is going. So yeah. let, let me ask, let me, and I've got a bunch of questions uh, on things you just said, but now I'm wondering, you know, for you, when did you realize that what had become a hobby had, had become something that you could throw yourself into full time? I guess that's number one. And number two, like, when did you realize that you had kind of hit like a tipping point and things were really taking that's off? That's a great question. So I, I did it all for free. Um, yeah. for three, three years, I coached anybody and everybody for free. Thousands yeah. of people. And I was okay. writing wow. workouts. I had 55 athletes at the CrossFit Games in 2015. And I was giving them workouts on a weekly basis, personalized, hmm. um, all for free. I've never charged actually an athlete that that I, I've worked with that went to the CrossFit Games. I've never, zero, no money. That's I, incredible. I, all my travel, um, yeah, ever. Uh, and I've never asked them for anything either. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the reason was, is like in the, in the beginning, I wanted to learn the craft. I wanted to just understand how do we take these athletes that are not interested in specializing in a particular sport that they want to do variety and how do we maximize their fitness more efficiently and effectively? How can mm-hmm. we do that? And yeah. so we want to make them fast in terms of their speed, but we also want to give the ability to endure. And so that's why I was doing all of this early on for free. And when I was at the games in, in afterwards in 15 and, and I'm sitting and I'm thinking about it, I'm like, you know, I can manage both of these. I could do a full-time job and I could coach and I could be effective. And there was a guy that runs um, HGST. So he ran um, um, Mike Cordano. He ran um, um, HGST. So it used to be Western Digital, Hitachi. Uh, okay, and, I got gotcha. you. 
and uh, hard disk drives. And okay. I know I got to know him through Jason Kalipa. And one day we were sitting, he came and just, I would do a Saturday class at the you know, track or a running clinic for free and teach people just the biomechanics of running. And, and he was there and we were sitting on the, the football field afterwards. And he's like, Hey, I know that you think that you're managing both of these Hmm. But every time when you're going from your regular job to coaching, there is a transition. It's the same transition that you would feel after a two week vacation. You got to get back into the groove of things that you're, yeah. you're lagging. You're a little slower. You're not as sharp. Right. And he says, I'm not telling you that you're, 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 you're bad in either of them. What I'm telling you is, is that you would be much better if you just did one of those things. Hmm. And, and I'm like thinking about it on the way home after talking to him. I'm like, he wasn't telling me what to do, but he really was telling me what to do. You know, he was putting that, he was putting that next workout out in front of you. But that's he, what a great leader does. Yeah, that's what he was, yeah. He was he was saying something to not tell me what to do. He was giving enough information to start that thought process going. And once he lit the fuse. He went and separated himself. And right. that's what I like. That's why he's a great leader and a great CEO of a major organization in the world. Yeah. He lights the fuse. And I got to thinking about it and I'm like, you know what? I'm going for it. So I went yeah. from a 25 year career. I gave two weeks notice and I switched to making zero money and <laughs> living in Silicon Valley. How did that, how did that feel? I was a wreck. I, I was nervous. Really? Okay. <laughs> well, I was really honestly nervous because of the perception that friends and family would have. Like, what are yeah. you doing? Are you having a midlife crisis? You know, it, it, it's a lot of things that I realized that I was doing was because of perception that others had towards me. And that was guiding me. And I, that was a huge learning curve for me. I was always, why am I exhausted all the time? Why am I? It's like, because I'm trying to please everybody. And the yeah. last person that was, you know, pleasing. When's the last time I went to the dentist back then? I couldn't even tell you. Because right. my personal well-being was last. And there was a, there was a negative dripping type of effect of everything I touched because of it. Hmm. And that was an eye opener for me when I transitioned out was I'm not doing this for anybody. And if people are critical and commenting about how dumb I am for making this decision, I, this isn't for them. Right. And I, I realized right then, and I wish I did it sooner. I'm not, remember when you're a kid, and if you're sitting there and, and you have a job, like I, I, I had a job of, of, you ever heard of honey baked hams? Yeah. Okay. Honey baked ham. <laughs> so I did that job. Oh, I, no kidding. Okay. Oh yeah. We coated them with the brown sugar and all of that. And then we had to glaze oh, them. Wow. Okay. Was a nightmare. Yeah. It was a bad job. <laughs> <clears throat> and I remember the boss was accusing me of, of taking breaks because it was really hot glazing. I'd go into the ice cooler where all of this, the soft drinks and, you know, the hams were, and I just, yeah. sit there. I'd yeah. have to get, I'd have to get the core down, you know, I was overheating. 
Mm-hmm. And he came in and he's accusing me. And whether he was right or wrong, I was like, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Just with that, I'm like, I'm going to go get another job. Right. But as we age, we lose that ability to, you know what, take that gamble and just say, you know what, I'm out because of of the pressures of life. Right. Like, yeah, you're, yeah, you're talking to someone with three kids. Yeah. Cause now you start piling on mortgage, uh, long term stability. Like, you're right. Yeah. And it's very easy to get trapped in a situation where it's like you're just trying to maintain the status quo and do, you know, now I mean, not that I'm necessarily doing that myself, but from like an outside perspective, it's like, okay, he's doing well. He has a good job. Right. You know, it's very tough to break out of that cycle because it feels like there's so much potential risk and that risk could be catastrophic. Right. Like if it doesn't work out. You've like, think about your career. You've invested how many years? It's like an athlete. You've invested all this time in your training. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just keep moving and, and, and going in that direction? You're just like chopping it off and, and then just doing a complete shift. Yeah. Of course people would think you're crazy. Exactly. Oh yeah. No, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, this is not that related, but I have buddies who are lawyers and I mean, they're, they're, they feel stuck. They're like, yeah. (laughs) two different degrees. I've spent all this money. It's not even paid off yet. And now I find out that like, this is pretty miserable. Like, yeah. I, you know, like I'm making good money, but I have terrible hours. I don't enjoy it. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they feel stuck. Yeah. And so it's, it's tough. It really is tough for people to break out of that. It's okay. So you, so you felt, uh, you're a wreck, oh, but it's awful. Not, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was awful. But I had success. And so that yeah. the, the thing is, is even though I wasn't making any money, I had success. And that's what the public sees, right? I always mm. tell people that, you know, I've had a lot of people that have gone to the CrossFit Games and have won, you know, teenagers and masters, like 30 people that have sat on the top of the podium. Men's it's insane. I was, I was looking at the stats and I was like, how is that even possible? A lot of work, <laughs> a lot of work, a lot of work. Awesome. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also part like when I was looking at those things, I never really those aren't my wins. There's a, there's so many other factors that go along with it, but the thing that I I mm-hmm. do really credit myself with is those athletes keep coming back and wanting to be trained by me tomorrow. So like Catherine yeah. who, you know, Davis daughter, she's won the games yeah. twice. Like 6 years and we're still working together. That's what I'm talking about is that retention side. And so the public saw this, this accomplishment thing. But what I saw was I have something where I can retain people. And if I mm-hmm. can do that for the general public, then there's something there. And yeah. so that's what I transitioned. And being in Silicon Valley, you know, it's, an, it's a very difficult place to live because of the the very high cost of living um mm. i never i made more i made a lot of money but my burn rate was was ahead of my 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 income and the value though in silicon yeah. valley is the skill set of the people that live there there is mm. a skill set a talent pool that is unlike any other pool of people where you can sit down and have conversations um, on, on multiple levels in multiple planes in parallel. And so, yep. and those things are happening. And that, becomes, and that becomes addicting as well. 
you can get addicted to like that. So like, like, so I remember, like I said, I think I, I don't remember if I said when once we started or not, but I grew up North of Seattle, um, in a town called Arlington. Fantastic place to grow up. I love it. I still love to go back, yeah. but it's like when I started going back from New York to Arlington, it was just like the pace of life that people operated at. And like, to your point, like the types yeah. of conversations and how quickly like your brain, like, you know, when you're around really, really bright, talented people all the time, you have to kind of adapt and come up to their level and just, you know, to be able to carry a conversation. Right. And so it's like, but you got you can kind of get addicted to that energy, so to yep. speak. Um, yep. And yeah, Silicon Valley obviously has that in spades. I mean, what is California like the 13th biggest economy in the world or something on its own? It's incredible. Yeah. Well, and so being like in that space in high tech, I knew a lot of people. Yeah. And it was really easy for me to take my thought process and what I was doing in terms. So everything that I was doing for athletes was personalized. What mm -hmm. I was realizing was, is that I can create certain algorithms. So I'm more of a math finance numbers guy, like okay. nothing turns me on more than a good spreadsheet. And, and so <clears throat> I could take these numbers and, and predict where workouts should be performed at, like in terms of mm. uh, the balance between volume, intensity, and recovery and prescribe okay. all of them based upon the level of the athlete. And I started talking to people of like, how do you automate this? How can we through right. a series of algorithms, instead of me doing a one by one, how can we streamline this? Well, mm. that information is readily available in Silicon Valley. Like yeah. that was, th those answers are easy. Yeah. And so that's what I was doing was, is I was, I was trying to just find a way to scale so that I wasn't spending, you know, 80 hours a week writing one by right. one by one. Mm -hmm. And once I figured that out, then it was off to the races because yeah. I had enough sample size, you know, by this time I had coached over 3000 people. It was like, I had, my sample size was enough that I felt that the, the algorithms I was using was robust. Yeah. So, and that's one of the things I wanted to ask you, like, you know, your expertise in aerobic capacity, uh, yeah. you know, how did you develop that? Was it, is it a combination? Cause clearly, like you said, you know, you're well experienced given your background in triathlons. Yeah. Uh, and you were also a pretty good swimmer. I think, I think you danced around that a little bit, but I think you were actually a really good swimmer if, if uh, memory and the internet serves me correctly. Um, you know, how did you build out? Well, let me ask you this, you know, what is it that's setting you apart with regards to your approach to building aerobic capacity for the athletes that you work with? It's about the precision. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you go, if you go in and you look at, um, let's say, just go and pick, if, if you want, just type on the internet, half marathon training program. Right. And, and look at what is provided. It, it doesn't, it, it's a generic generalized program. And the problem is, is that I came from a space that time was precious. And here we were in tech in Silicon Valley, and we're trying to create ways to increase productivity in the same amount of total time. Mm. And so I took that same thing and I'm like, wait a minute, if in the CrossFit space, if an athlete only gives me one workout a week, I can't make a mistake. I can't yeah. cover it up with more volume, another workout. 
I can't do that. It has to be the highest and best use of their time. And mm. I was always going back to the same thing in the you know business world. If I have a, a salesperson that is, is trying to go out and, and get a deal, I have to make sure that whatever they're working on is the highest and best use of their time to service the company. I took the same thing yep. and applied it towards the individual in, in their mm. strengths and weaknesses relative okay. to their goal. And okay. that's where it lies. It lies in the precision and the accuracy of what you're asking them to do. And coming from CrossFit, we are experts in movement. Hmm. And so I don't look at, let's say, the sport of surfing as surfing. I look at what are the movement patterns? What are the muscle groups? What, what energy systems are being used and by when? Mus what muscle fiber groups? You know, where yeah. are injury rates? And uh. that's how I'm looking at it. I don't see a golfer in playing golf. I look at, wow, all of their core strength is rotational strength. And so mm. if I'm going to be doing sit-ups, what kind of sit-ups should I be doing? Maybe it should be, right. a Russian, maybe I should be doing Russian twists, rotational types of work. Yeah. And so versus, I, versus crunches, which, you know, like at surface level, it's like, oh, we need a strong core. But it's like a step further, I guess, is it sounds like is what you take it. It's really an assessment of like, what are the demands? If I'm going to lift something ground overhead with a golfer, you know yeah. what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a med ball mm -hmm. and I'm going to have them stand upright and then lean over, touch the med ball on the outside of their left foot and mm -hmm. then reach and twist a total of 180 degrees and reach to the sky instead mm -hmm. of from straight between their legs, straight overhead. Because everything's rotational for them. Because we have to look at the movement. And so what yeah. we're doing is adding precision. So you, right. you know, I read that you're into this, this, this modern dictathlon, right? Oh, you did some background as well. The table well, has turned, I see. Well, I got it. Right. So like, I know like if I was training you, yeah. we would be looking at those events and we mm -hmm. would be assessing you and your strengths and weakness, but also your genetic makeup. Okay. Are you a fast twitch speed strength power athlete? Or right. are you more like me better in longer time domains, you know, endurance, aerobic, slow twitch work. And we would be targeting the workouts that you have to do. And then also your strengths and weaknesses that you currently mm. have and, yeah. and creating a better balance in there. And, that's not being done in, in these generalized programs. Right. And so if we're going to retain somebody, they need to understand that what I'm providing is personalized for them and mm -hmm. that they get them buy-in that they get it. Yeah. Yeah. So are you, you know, you mentioned golf. Um, and I, I think we're going to now sign you up to be my decathlon coach, but, uh, <laughs> I like those events, you by the way. It's, you know what? It's fun. It's tough. Um, and actually, if you want, I should make an introduction to you to the guy who runs it. It's a fantastic cause. Um, and it, there's a lot of, uh, it, similar to CrossFit, right? It's 10 different events all in one day. There's yeah. probably a lot of people who would uh, benefit greatly from your programming for some of the, you know, more endurance and uh, speed strength events. So if you'd like, I can introduce you. I'm sure he would love to promote your stuff. Um, but where was I going with this? So golf, are, are you actually working now? You mentioned 
you mentioned surfing, you mentioned golf, and of course we know about CrossFit. Are you working with athletes across all sorts of different disciplines now? Is it kind of like broadened out? So like golfers, yeah. So I, I am, I'm working with like professional PGA golfers. Um, oh, surfers. Awesome. I went to North Shore and have, you know, friends there. Um, yeah, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And oh, a man. lot of it is, is, is branching out into movement and mm. So one of the things that like, if you take for, and, and then also like, like, um, professions like firefighting, yeah. you know, like, like there's certain professions that there's always been a way that they've done their, their training. And the problem is, is that it's, it's dictated by tradition versus logic, yeah. you know, and science and <laughs> methodology and right you know, cardiorespiratory disease and firefighting is something that's really bad. And uh, one of the things that, that unfortunately the way that they train is that they're having to wear 60 pounds of gear. And so the logic is, is that we need to teach these athletes, like train them to be strong and we need to generate power. Mm -hmm. Well, they're always working, you know, one rep lifts or they're working short sled sprints. And it's like, well, well, that's great if you could climb a set of stairs with 60 pounds of gear in 10 seconds. But right. when you get to the top of those three flights of stairs, you can't function because you can't recover. Yeah. And oh, man. It, and for those guys, it's life and death, right? Exactly. I mean, literally. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what, could, what more could be on the line than that? Well, and if you look at, you know, the, the way in which most firefighters are dying, it's, it's because of their, their cardio respiratory fitness, their aerobic uh, fitness. And so just looking at firefighting, they have to wear a, a tank, you know, to go in there and that tank will typically last them 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're a fire chief and you're looking at your crew and you're looking at them in terms of like we would do in a business world of production capacity, mm -hmm. I have a fire. I have my, 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 the resources in terms of people, but really the resource is how many tanks can each one of those resources carry to fight this fire. Hmm. And if every one of them can only manage one tank and they're not safe enough to go back in because the recovery is limiting their performance, then yeah. it's pretty easy to do an assessment on fighting a fire based hmm. upon the number of tanks. I might as well let it burn because I don't have enough resources. Right. But what if I improve their aerobic capacity, their ability mm. to recover, not intensity side, but the recovery side of the equation. Oh. Now, maybe I could double their capacity. Yeah. Instead of hiring two times the workforce, what I can do is use the same workforce. But instead of training them based upon speed, strength and power, what I do is I train them in a jogging and walking program, focusing mm. on the recovery, not volume. Yeah not their intensity. I focus on the third variable, which is the recovery. Yeah. That's oh, what wow. I'm talking about is yeah. looking at a situation and where do we make an improvement based upon the known pieces of information. Hmm. And that, that kind of dovetails into similar, like talking about, um, tradition and, uh, the historical way of doing things versus like logic, you know, you already alluded to this as well. Like there was this notion that, and you know, with when you were working, I think it was with Kalipa and I remember, I can't remember the other guys you mentioned, but the thought that by doing this longer endurance aerobic capacity training, you were potentially ruining them 
for like maybe I imagine the jump was like their their quick twitch, their speed, their power. Yeah. Um, are you are you finding that that has become? And it's kind of a loaded question because we see what people are now doing in the CrossFit games, and I think it defies yeah. what we thought was possible. But are you finding that that notion that like, hey, by doing long term endurance, you're you're giving up something on the fast twitch side of things, or that's, is it more uh, nuanced than that? That's a great question. Yeah, one of the things that that if if you just quickly do a a search and you look at this interference effect. Um, and one of the things that interference effect that you will find is that if you do too much of one thing, it will interfere with another. So let's say that you're a strength-based athlete and you start a, a, a cardiorespiratory type program, a running program. Well, the interference effect is saying that if you do too much of running, it's going to interfere with your strength. Right. And so that was one of the things that I battled early on in the CrossFit space because strength is, is, is one of the, the key requirements to oh, yeah. top level success. And, and the weight that these guys are throwing around. Well, like Rich Froning. So Rich Froning is a classic example. Oh, he put 420, right. 425 pounds over his head. He's 198 <laughs> pounds, five foot nine, and he could put 425 over his head. So. Gosh. You work with a guy like that. And the problem yeah. is, is that when I started working with him, he had already won the CrossFit games four times and he yeah. had a mile, he could run a mile in six minutes. And when I looked at him and I did an assessment, it, he ran a lap around the track in 60 seconds. He was very explosive. He had tremendous speed. And what I did was, is I looked at the relationship between his speed and his endurance. And mm. what we do is, is I do is I look at those two numbers and I look at what we call a fatigue factor or a coefficient of slowing. So we all know that we can't maintain our one minute maximum effort speed for 10 minutes. We slow down, right. but right. it's the rate in which we slow down tells us whether or not we need more anaerobic speed based training, or do we need more aerobic, mm. longer time domain training? It tells me where to weight their priorities. Mm. <clears throat> so, so it's, go, go ahead, please. No, uh, no uh, go for it. Well, no, I was, I was going to be a knucklehead and I was going to take a guess at what that looks like. And I figured you're the expert. Listeners would probably benefit from hearing you explain it a little bit further <laughs> than, well, so, than me sitting here pondering and being like, oh, I wonder. <laughs> so we all know. So that I'll let you continue. We know that as we, we do a movement and we, we, we do it at maximal effort. As we move into longer time yeah. domains, it shifts from where we're getting that energy from in order to contract the muscles. And as we get mm. beyond three minutes, it starts turning more and more into an aerobic activity. So if you are interested in, in becoming better aerobically um, or better at time domains longer than three minutes, then mm -hmm. you need to work the slow twitch aerobic side of the equation. But yeah. if you're a Usain Bolt and the longest you need to run is 200 meters or 20 seconds of time, right. then you should be focusing in on more specific training. And mm -hmm. so what I started doing was looking at movement and looking at an anaerobic time domain versus an aerobic time domain and looking at that rate of fatigue. Hmm. And that's how I can help identify 
where's the highest value of your time? So you, in your decathlon event, I mean, you got to run, what, you have three run events, the 40, the 400, and the 800, right? Yeah, man, you're on top of it, yes. And the 500-meter row, which is a nightmare, but yes, go on. (laughs) Right, but but the row is rowing, right? right. right? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing is, is that you would have to look at those three events and the demands of those, but I would look at you and go, okay, so wait a minute. These are all short time domain events, even the 800. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I wouldn't even look at other than if your recovery between events is weak, then I would deal with the aerobic side of the equation, meaning like Mm. your body can't recover because the 400s in the beginning and the 800s at the end what if you so blown out from doing the 400 that you can't actually restore your, 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 your muscle fibers for the next events? Well, oh, yeah. that's, a, that's an aerobic level adaptation. So that uh, would be something for me to consider, right? Like mm. you saying, Bolt, he's not training aerobically, but he sure has to take consideration of prelims in the hundred, the 200, the four by one, the semis, the finals recovery between those matters. It matters, but we don't want to train and being an aerobic athlete. Same thing for you and your event. I would never train you to be aerobic other than an accessory piece to help you recover Mm. between events. So that's what I ended up like really targeting was I need data and I need data that is for an athlete. That's not a sports specific athlete, because if I look at runners, their right. fatigue factor is completely different because they're specialists. Yeah. So going back to Froning, for example, one of the things that I realized is he has a very fast 400. It was 60 seconds relative to his mile time. His mm-hmm. rate of fatigue between those, if you look at the slope, was around 28%. Okay. A good number is somewhere around 22. Okay. And, so, and is, that, is that a good number for like... A recreational runner. Oh, okay. A recreational recreational, runner. So someone who runs just recreation, like for health and fitness, but they want to ride a bike, they want to go to yoga, they want to, they're running for two times a week for fitness. Got it. And so that told me that in order to reduce the percentage from 28 down to 22, I need to improve his aerobic side. I need to improve his mile time. So what did I do? I just slowed him down. I slowed him down. And what was always, so with Froning, what was nerve wracking was he was the greatest CrossFit athlete in the sport by far at that moment. Yeah. And the risk was, is not that I couldn't make him a better runner. Of course I could make him better running, but what if I ruined him as a CrossFit athlete? And this brings in that interference effect. And one of the things that I realized early on in working with the other champions that now had gone on to win the CrossFit games before Rich was that every one of them, by doing a moderate amount of running every week, especially at lower intensities, they were getting stronger. Matter of fact, there's not oh, one elite level. There's not one elite level athlete that I've ever worked with that has not gotten stronger. Hmm. And it's it's about finding a proper balance so that this interference effect, which no one can quantify how much is too much. Yeah. They, they can't. And so part is, is, is where are we finding a complementary amount of volume? And most of what CrossFit athletes do or recreational athletes do is they're standing and supporting their body weight. Yeah. Well, when we run, we're standing and supporting our body weight. 
Well, if you are doing, let's say, a lift, when yeah. you make that one rep lift happen, what muscle fibers are being recruited? Well, they're all being recruited. Mm-hmm. But what if you've never actually trained your slow twitch fibers? What if your slow twitch fibers are not available to you because you've never oh. actually created any level of adaptation? What if right. all of your intensity is just targeting your ability to generate force, power, mm-hmm. speed? Well, when now you go to do a standing upright lift, such as froning, doing a clean and jerk, right. the standing support muscles, the slow twitch fibers the rate in which those fibers are recruited and the percentage of those available fibers are greater. Hmm. And every one of his lifts has gone up. So in that first 10 weeks, Froning said, my vertical leap went from 31 inches to 33 inches. All of my lifts went up. Uh, Matt Frazier, who's now the most dominant CrossFit athlete in the sport, who I've coached since winning, every one of his lifts, the same thing. And so that's where working with a large population of people, especially on the elite end to answer some of these unknowns, or maybe it contradicts what's happened because I'm not working with a weightlifter. I'm not working with a runner that's interested in just doing the mile. I'm working with an athlete that wants a variety of fitness. Yeah. And that is a different spectrum of the population. That Hmm. is the recreational athlete that sits in the middle they're not on the extremes, yeah. right? I'm on an extreme in terms of endurance and Usain Bolt's on the other end. Yeah, I'm talking about middle population with a balance of slow twitch and fast twitch fibers and how do you train them? So Fronin can put 425 over his head and he can run a 520 mile. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because um, are, are you familiar with Cal Dietz? Uh, of course, yeah. yeah I've read that. Yeah. My favorite training. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I know it well. So I just, I just had Cal on and, uh, kind of like this, the conversation ends up going a completely different direction than you anticipate. But one of the things, but it's, it's far better than whatever I was going to ask you. One of the things we were talking about is he's big on fasted cardio. Now, not, not to the extent that like you're going and you're, you know, he's having his elite athletes go like, you know, balls to the wall, but it's like, Hey, 20 minutes, steady state, get your heart rate up. And I was like, really, even for your guys who are sprinters, because he works with the track team among, you know, a lot of other what you would consider to be like short sprint or, you know, fast twitch type athletes. He's like, yeah, he's like, it actually helps them too. He's like, I have them, you know, then they do their workout in the afternoon. But he was like, basically, you know, if you're just someone interested in general fitness or an elite athlete, like I still recommend it. He's like, I do it every day. And we didn't get that next level deeper. You explaining why, I mean, just even in, the example of like rich lifts getting better. It's because now like there's slow twitch muscles that maybe now have been trained that were never trained before and could be recruited. So that's, that's really, really interesting to me. Um, But that's so, as we were saying from the beginning, that's the key is that you need as a coach, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. to explain that so that the athlete now understands there's more purpose, there's more intent because let's face it, if any coach can keep an athlete, they're going to make them better. Mediocre mm-hmm. coaches, so long as they keep coming back. The yeah. problem is, is that there's so many shiny objects over the coach's shoulder that distracts people. And yeah. so how, what is your strategy on retention? Because that's the number one. You have to retain them. 
And so that, I, I really feel strongly about, you know, explaining these, the, the purpose, but doing it in a way, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's interesting coaches. I hear them all the time and they, they start talking science, whether they understand the science or not. The problem is, if that athlete doesn't understand, and what I mean by an athlete understanding what you're saying is they're going to be able to relay that information to a third person and that third person now understands it. Yeah. If, if, if an athlete can't repurpose that content and tell somebody else, it was a total waste of time. Mm-hmm. It has to be relatable. It has to be understandable. If you start throwing even the word lactic acid around. Yeah people, it just, the, it's a mind bender for them. They, they auger into the earth. They don't understand. <laughs> and so part is, is that it's not, and, and I'm not saying dumbing it down. What I'm saying is it's a yeah. coach's job to make a connection so that they find that purpose, that value. Yeah. And, and that's where, that's where I spend a lot of my time is, is finding a way to, to get people to stay in the program, to retain them. That's yeah. where the constant quest is. Yeah. Yeah. That's really an important thing in my opinion, but like Cal Dietz and what he like, amazing, um, amazing creative ideas. You know, one of the things that, that I've often used in swimming, which I grew up swimming was hypoxic breathing. Mm, okay. And in football, you guys can use like a training mask to simulate fourth quarter fatigue by, by shutting off airflow. Right. That would be the time to use a mask where what is it like to be completely gassed? Well, I'm just going to restrict the flow of oxygen. So you get, you know, 10 percent of what you normally would. Okay, so there we've simulated that. Yeah. Yeah. I keep going back and I early on I was thinking, you know, in swimming and it's proven through research that that hypoxic type intervals in swimming has tremendous value. Hmm. Why isn't that done in other sports? Yeah. Right. And so right. part of it, it's just not thought about because in the water, it's easy to hold your breath because you know what? I'm just going to keep my head in the water and just not breathe. Mm-hmm. And so part is, is like looking at what other sports have historically done, which science and athlete performance has vetted out. And are those opportunities available for other sport or other movement patterns? Right. And if we're going to do it right, like, let's say you do like a lot of people would say, if you're going to swim the length of the pool withholding your breath, you go yeah. and you take a deep breath in. <gasps> well, what Cal Dietz and what he is like, I, when I read through that, I'm like, wait a minute, why take the deep breath in? Why not start it with an exhale? Yeah. Let's go. If we're really pushing that, what's the purpose of the inhale? Right. Yeah. And so part is, is that that's what I'm talking about is taking these concepts Mm -hmm. that are out there. For example, we said about runners, you know what runners, you know, endurance, they, they do an interval, let's say a 400 meter interval, and then they do a 400 meter jog Right. versus other athletes that will just do their 400 and then they sit around for five minutes and then they do another one and they get good in the recovery in sitting around and doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, if you take that same principle and what we want to do is build your push-up capacity, yeah. let's say right. you, so you got to do max reps of push-ups. So, okay. So 
what's your limitation in your push-up? Is it your, your one rep bench press? Or is it that you just get tired after doing 40 of them? Right. Well, if it is your fatigue, then what my job would be is to improve your ability to clear fatigue while doing push-ups. So how are we going to do it? Mm. Well, what I want you to do is let's say you're going to do, I'm going to have you do six reps of bench press at 135. Let's make it 10 because that's not going to be that heavy for you. And then mm. what I want you to do is rack it and then pick up a PVC pipe and mimic the same movement pattern with the PVC pipe. Nice and slow active recovery. So what do you normally do between your reps on the bench? You sit around and do nothing. Right. So check the phone. Right. But but if your limitation is preventing you from doing more push-ups is that you get fatigued, then what should we work on? Well, I don't want you to work on more volume in terms of bench press. I don't want you to lift more weight in terms of bench press. I want to attack the three minutes of sitting around and I want to actually get you to move. So what I'm going to do is have you do your jog recovery with the PVC pipe, but for the sole purpose of, I want you to focus on the same movement pattern, the same muscle groups, but the concept <laughs> is recovery. So instead of you sitting around and doing nothing, I'm now getting you to repeat the same movement pattern that just created fatigue, but the intent is clearing fatigue. So you're now doing, if you did five rounds of bench. Yeah you're now moving in the movement pattern of a bench, but the focus of the workout is time. I'm working muscular stamina versus my strength. Yeah. Oh man. That's so, so there's a lot of people maybe who do some NFL combine training who should be taking notes here, but so what is actually happening? And then I, I know we're getting going long here. So I'll add this one. And then one last question for you, but, but uh, you, you know, know what, but you know, you know that that's what I love, right? Cause I'm getting you to want to stay. So it's a sign that I'm doing. Yeah, no, man, this is great. Well, I could, I could do this all day, but uh, <laughs> you know, so what is happening when you, you say clearing fatigue? Cause I think for a lot of people, you know, they're like, okay, that sounds great. What's actually happening in the body that's going to like cause that adaption that you're looking for? So when we work anaerobically, fast twitch fibers, what we're doing is we're creating this lactic acid, right? So lactate, which is a fuel really, and then the acidity, and Mm -hmm. it builds up into the muscles that are moving. And if you keep working at that high rate of speed, that high force, that, that lactic acid is going to spill into the space between that muscle and the neighboring muscle and eventually spill into the neighboring muscle. And then it's going to go into the bloodstream and that's called lactate shuttle. And when it goes into the bloodstream, what it's doing is it's trying to find vacant available muscle fiber to Hmm. help clear it. So the way your body works, the body is an incredibly logical thing. Our fast twitch fibers create this fatigue, but our slow twitch fibers, it consumes this fatigue. So if you Hmm. are an athlete that's more aerobically fit, what happens is it grabs that lactate and it consumes it as a fuel. And when it consumes that lactate as a fuel, it takes the acidity out of the body. And so Hmm. there's this balance between creating lactate with high intensity, but clearing it with the low intensity. And so... Yeah. If you have a limitation as an athlete of like, I just get tired mm-hmm. in a particular movement, then it tells me that maybe that's the area of focus that we should be working on. So mm. as a coach, you can't work on everything. Like I said, with Froning, right. do I work on speed or do I work on his endurance? Well, 
what we need is we need to be assessing movement and getting feedback from an athlete and going, you know what? The reason why I can't do 42 push-ups in a row and I can only do 41 is I just gas out. I get tired. Yeah. Well, do you want to be able to do 42? Yes, I do. Okay, yeah. so then you know what we need to do is we need to be focusing on your slow twitch fiber in the movement pattern of a push-up in doing an active recovery versus sitting mm -hmm. around and doing nothing and clearing the fatigue. And what we're doing is we're actually tricking that athlete while doing it into more volume, but we're disguising mm. it as active recovery like you. Yeah. That sounds like an easy workout. I'm going to do, I'm going to do 10 bench press at 135, right. and then a minute of PVC slow as I want. The only rule is no stopping five rounds. Okay. Well, that PVC pipe, I guarantee is going to get heavy because you get pretty heavy because you've never done six minutes of unbroken bench press. No, no way. Not even close. But that's the same thing that holds true. You take a sprinter and you say, sprinter, you know what you're going to do is five 100 meter sprints and you're going to take three minutes of rest mm -hmm. between sprinters like all day long. But now you turn around right. and you tell the sprinter, you know what? You're going to sprint 100 meters, but instead of sitting around and doing nothing, what I want you to mm -hmm. do is I want you to do a 400 meter easy recovery jog in between. So instead of doing 500 meters of work, now you're doing 2,500 meters of work. Now they have mm. a muscular stamina failure. Yeah. That's, you're training the direction of the weakness. Yeah. It's so funny you say, and again, not, not to reference Cal Dietz, but like, I'm starting to see like, you both are incredibly successful, like in your, in your own pursuit. Right. And, and he kind of made similar examples of like, look, there's opportunities even within like, let's take the bench press. He's like, yeah. look, you know, just going up and down, you're just training kind of like one aspect of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, and I think we've talked about triphasic training on this podcast enough. That people are like, all right, come on, Ken, keep going. But what he was talking about this last time is like, look, like define where you're weakest within that movement. He's like, if you're weakest at the bottom and like the bottom four inches, he's like, let's do like go down and then do mini reps at four inches and then go all the way back up. So like finding an area within that movement where you can like, to your point, get more volume in the area that you're weakest. Right. So that you well, can get an adaption that's actually going to like propel you forward or I guess closer to your goal. So I'm, yeah. I'm seeing a lot of similarities uh, and it's really cool because I think it's like, oh, th this is where you know, th these marginal gains can be found, right? By taking a step back. I mean, okay, you, you're pausing, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> well, no, but I think it's also that, that it's, it's, it's about looking and, and pr providing precision. And ah. it, it, it's great if you could get somebody, so take the rope climb example that we talked about earlier. If yeah. you're doing a static hold on the rope, then what I would want is your weakest. So the rope is, is next to your body. It's next to your chest. So you've got that rope yeah. right next to your lips and it, you're holding there. Yeah. Okay. Which hand do you put on top? Oh, yeah. I, would, I, would. I want your weak hand on top. Your yeah. weak pole hand, I want it on top. Mm -hmm. And that's the higher value of time. And that's what I'm talking about. If you're going to do a static hold on a rope, then which hand should be on top and why? Yeah, I see what you're saying. And, and that's, that's what separates the average coach from the elite coach. That's where, like, but again, I think that this time, and, and let's face it, this COVID thing that's happened, coaches yeah. are more accessible now than they ever have been. I right. can't tell you how many free Zoom calls I've done within the community, 50. And yeah. I, 
would I have ever done that? No way. It's such a time commitment. And I wouldn't have done it. I think that what athletes now should recognize, anybody that's listening, reach out to coaches that are out there in the community and ask them for a sampling of workouts. Look at these coaches and what do they provide? I I had someone ask me the other day and and he attended a seminar that a free class that I did in NorCal two years ago. And he's like, hey, you mentioned in this thing that you have some maybe assault bike into run workouts. Mm. Can you send me some? I sent him eight workouts that showed the different variation of exactly what he wanted. And you know what? It took me five minutes to send it. I have them Hmm. available. Yeah. Athletes out there, if they're wanting to dive into uh, getting a better understanding of instead of vanilla generic garbage programming and looking for precision contact the coast because we're all accessible Yeah, and ask for a sampling. Yeah. And make it specific. You want skier into a row workout. You want an assault bike into a biker. You want a seated workout on a bike into a standing bike workout. Yeah. Send a sample. And that's what is out there right now. It is an incredible opportunity. And if a coach doesn't do it, cross them off the list. Because for me to send you 20 workouts, I'll give away workouts for free all day long. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Well, and, and, and so let me ask you this, right? One, you clearly love it. You're clearly passionate about it. And we can end on this question. You know, for you, hearing you, you took that big risk on yourself, which I think might be the most powerful thing of, of this entire conversation to go do something that clearly you were passionate about without there being a clear economic return that could even come close in the yeah. short term, right? To what you were currently earning. Ton of risk there. You have kids, they're college aged. They were, uh, yeah. right? It's like, I mean, that's a huge risk. You know, yeah. now you, you, you've clearly established yourself as an authority in the space. And um, in addition to coaching, I mean, world champions, you know, you have this awesome platform that you've built, uh, which we can certainly, you know, I'll definitely promote. And, and you can tell people a little bit about it as well. Like, wh- what's next for you? Like, are you excited about what you're doing now? Or do you have something else on the horizon for yourself that you feel is like, that next frontier for yourself? So what I'm passionate about is, is looking at various sports and Mm. looking at what historically has been done just as CrossFit was focusing on speed, strength and power to build aerobic capacity. Yeah. it, it, It defied the logic for me. And part is, is, is like surfing. Here's a good example. Most surfers, you know what their number one injury is? A a blown ACL. They're coming down the wave and chop hits them and they've got the leg kicked out the knee slightly bent and boom, it pops the ACL. Oh, wow. Number one injury. Well, then the question would be is, okay, if that's the case, why? And how can you, through an improvement in a training protocol, reduce the risk of that injury? Well, so Mm. the first thing that you would want to know is, is that how are they training? Well, because surfers only paddle, they always do upper body type training. And my comment to them was, is that, yeah, but look at what happens that when you're paddling out into a lineup and you're paddle, 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 and there's a lot of high intensity surges, right? Intervals between waves. Yeah. And so there's a high intensity sprint and then they recover, catch your breath, and then they sprint again. Well, lactic acid builds up in the muscle groups that are moving, right? The arms. Mm -hmm. 
Well, it eventually it goes into the bloodstream. And where does it go? It goes to the legs. Imagine if you think your legs are fresh because they haven't done anything. They've just been dangling behind you sitting on the board. Right. And you're not aware of the way in which the body tries to remove lactic acid and lactate shuttle. And then yeah. you go to stand on a wave thinking your legs are totally stable. Right. And they're not. Well, what if you then improve the leg's ability to clear fatigue? What if you start a kicking-based program so they can put fins on, long fins, short fins, no fins, and they just go out in the ocean and they have a kicking-based protocol? Well, mm. now behind them, when they're paddling out in the lineup with small movement, they're activating yeah. those flow twitch fibers and helping dissipate that, that lactic acid. And so when I look at, at what ex, it, like it inspires me, it's looking at professions, looking at sport, and how can we provide value that mm. logically makes sense, like the firefighting example that I had. Yeah. Like, how can we do that? And I'm a firm believer in giving away the programming side of it mm -hmm. for free in, in those areas. Um, and then where the value is for me is, is the educational content, the yeah. application of these concepts to make a shift in a methodology that more logically makes sense and that's more sustainable. Right. No, that makes sense. Well, and, and so, so where can people find out more about you? You know, I mean, I know you put a ton of content out there for free and you're clearly incredibly generous with your time. And now I'm afraid that you're going to get a slew of emails, people requesting workouts, but, I, uh, that I love. So, Oh, it's um, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they, where can people find, find you? So they can find me on aerobiccapacity.com. Um, mm -hmm. that would probably be the best. There's okay. an aerobic capacity, Instagram, there's a Facebook page, um, I have my own Instagram, but I would just go to aerobiccapacity.com or the aerobic capacity Instagram page and just look through the Instagram. And then if you do, you want to reach out, you can just DM through Instagram and just say, Hey, you know, it'd be cool if you can send me, if, you know, I'd love to just check it out. Can you send me, you know, yeah. a couple of, of workouts that maybe even be focusing on 400 meters. Maybe it focuses on the 40 meter sprint. Do you have any warm up drills for, uh, 800 meter program. I mean, right. those I readily have, and it's easy hmm. for me to just send an attachment through and help yeah. educate people of, because here's the thing. I really, really could have been a better athlete. I could have been better. Mm. And I look back on my career and there's regret. You have, we all have windows of opportunity when we are doing certain things. And what I want is to maximize that potential in mm. that moment. And what people need to understand is this information is now readily accessible. It is up to yeah. you as an athlete to find the better way, but yeah. it's out there. So just take a little work instead of just looking, you know, this magical thinking is over. It doesn't magically appear. You got to put in a little work and yeah. start educating yourself. And if something that a coach sends you resonates then there's your coach, yeah. but ask. And if they're not going to provide it to you, then bail because there's a yeah. million of them out there. And if that coach resonates, then they're going to respect your time. And mm. that way there's more precision and intent towards your goal. And yeah. I wish I had that.
I, I, I really do. And I think about that in every workout I write. Is this truly, if this is the one workout they do this week, going to bring it for them? Yeah. Oh, I love that. And you know what? That it, It's funny. That that resonates with me because that is uh, one, one of the goals of this podcast, right? And that's kind of the first way I'm trying to approach it. I feel like there's so much knowledge yourself included, right? I mean, like, let's, let's take the aerobic capacity piece of it, right? Like Mm -hmm. just the goal is that someone's listening to this. They take a little piece from that and it just kind of lights that spark. And if they're willing to put in the effort, they know where to get the information. Right. And then just extrapolate that out across disciplines and different areas of interest. So, uh, you know, very thankful that there's folks out there like you doing the good work. And, uh, yeah, no, we really appreciate it. And, uh, hopefully, you know, people will follow up They'll look at aerobic capacity. There's a ton of information there. Um, so thank you, man. Thank you, uh, of course, you know, like I said, for for being so generous with your time. Appreciate no, it. Well, no, thank you, man. I'm all fired up. I don't know what I'm going to do after this. Yeah, I know. Go climb, go climb a rope, do some bench press. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, no, awesome. this is really good, man. I, I, You know, it's been a while since I've done a podcast and um, I'm not often nervous. I was a little nervous coming in just because I don't know your questions and um, yeah. I love what we spoke about. It really, um, it inspired me as far as like, I think maybe I made some good choices along the way. I think you did too. I think thanks, you did too. I think you're going to inspire some other people along the way too. Well, awesome. Well, we'll have to have you back in the future and, and thanks, thanks again. Man. Thank you. Then, mommy. You better go ask mommy, daddy. <laughs> All right. Let's talk flying squirrels. <laughs> I, I Did you know we were coming. going there? No, I didn't. You didn't see, see in the script. Nope. Do you even check the agendas that I print out each day? <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't do that. Hmm. I have to start. It's a wild west over here. So, this is our second attempt at this because we had to pause because I was so frustrated mm-hmm. that we had to go down <laughs> and you had to make me a green smoothie. He needed a snack and give me a little time to go sit out on the porch and collect my yeah, thoughts. Yeah, Kenny time. <laughs> watch the deer frolic a little bit before I could come back up into this attic. I mean, studio with you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're both a little sleep deprived because, uh, we had another flying squirrel altercation. Yeah. Not the first. I don't think we've talked about it yet on the podcast, no, but, this, this uh, is not our first, this is our fourth. Flying yeah. Squirrel? At least that we know of. Which, yeah. That, that's jumped on you directly in yeah, the middle of the night. That actually might be scarier. Yeah, uh, I so, know. I was just thinking about that. How many have not jumped on us? They're so silent. They just glide. They glide. So they don't even like make a sound unless they jump on you. Tiny rats with wings. Yep. But yeah, so we have a loft above our bedroom and our loft is basically connected to the attic. Flying squirrels. This is all a theory. Get mm. into the attic somehow. Get oh, into I our mean, loft. That's a fact. That's happening. Well, that's a fact. Yes. But I believe that's where they're coming from. There's yeah. some other possible points of entry, but they come in through the attic somewhere in like the crawl space. And then for mm-hmm. whatever reason, with their little nocturnal vision, our bed looks like the perfect landing pad. And they're right. Soft. And they're right. However, they tend more times than not to land directly on me while I sleep. Mm-hmm. And they are light, fleet of foot. <laughs> yeah, they are. Last night I was having a crazy dream. It was like Joe Rogan, and we were on the hunt for some exotic animal. I'm not even making this up. And all of a sudden, I feel this little pitter-patter on my arm, and I kind of like shake, 
and then I feel it like jump to my feet. Ugh, gross. And then I was like, I think. And I was like, no. So I get up, flashlight, a few minutes of searching. I find him perched up on a mirror. That's where you come into the story. Mm-hmm. I wake you up. And then the hunt was on. Yeah, we got him though. Yeah, I got him. You got him. <laughs> I got him. <laughs> the thing jumps into our son's crib. Yeah, that was our not six ideal. Our crib. Not ideal. And then runs into Kenny's underwear drawer. And I like also we, we couldn't ideal. find it for like 10 minutes. And then I see it peeking out at us. Thank God you did. Because yeah. number one, we would have just assumed he was gone. Yeah. And then I would have gotten up to get my underwear in the morning. Oh my God. Oh. Only to be greeted by a flying squirrel. Oh, gross. But yeah. yeah you ended up nabbing him. Yeah, but. Barehanded. So not Ken- barehanded. You had gloves. Kenny went downstairs to get a pair of work gloves. Not for himself, for me, because he thought that I should be the one to catch the little critter. Well, you're the critter catching fool. <laughs> fool? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess you I You love nothing more than a good critter. I don't like rodents, though. Yeah. Although they're really cute. Okay, we've talked about flying squirrels way too long. Oh, yeah. Hey, the podcast. So this show, uh, again, I say it every week, but I I really feel this way. I walked away after that conversation. Uh, I don't know if you remember me coming downstairs, but I was like fired up. Yeah, you're pumped. (laughs) I was like, we got to go do something. I was like, I'm motivated. Chris has got me all fired up. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's because like his passion for what he's doing right now just really comes across yeah. when he talks. And I think, you know, I'm not going to use it as one of the takeaways, but the leap that he made jumping from a career in, you know, hardware and tech sales um, to doing what he do- does now, you know, cool. I mean, he must have been so passionate Living about the dream, right? Yeah. But, you know, like he said, like it was a huge risk. And yeah. like, if you talk about it from a financial standpoint, he went from the security of, an executive sales job in Silicon Valley to, you know, choosing to basically be unemployed and do a lot of this coaching for free. But I mean, it's just a testament to, you know, how much he loves it and look, look where he's at now. Yeah. Well, he said that a lot of what he did in the tech sales before he started in CrossFit was driven by people's perceptions of him. Yeah. And now that he's doing what he loves, he's living such a healthier, happier life. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who can probably relate to that. I know I do in some ways. Yeah. You know, I think, I think everyone does. Yeah. Well, that wasn't where I was going with that, but okay. Yeah. Those damn Joneses, (laughs) their pool. So let's get into the takeaways. Number one, something that I thought was really, a really, really valuable opinion from someone who has a ton of credibility was the importance to give the athletes a voice and, Mm. you know, not only help them understand what you're doing, but I think the most important piece that I'm taking away from that was making the athlete take ownership. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you know, you really need to involve them in the process. And I loved his method of like dangling a carrot. Yeah. And that carrot was like, look, here's what we're going to do today, but here's the next workout that you could potentially be doing. And here's where we're trying to get to. If this feels too easy, you can choose to do the other one. But if you don't want to, you can also choose this as well. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, a little uh, karate kid, wax on, wax off. Yeah. Vulcan mind meld. Anyway. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Call back to an earlier episode. Go through the catalog, folks. (laughs) So that was a big one. Uh, 
you know, the other thing, because there's a lot of coaches out there, right? And there's mm-hmm. no shortage of people who are like very well experienced in the endurance space. So I was really interested to understand, you know, what is it that's like setting you apart? Why are all of these like elite top caliber CrossFit athletes like choosing to work with you? Yeah. And what he said was uh, the difference was in the precision, right? Mm-hmm. Like he has, it sounds like really, really become effective at being able to assess a movement yeah, and I identify areas of opportunity for improvement. Mm-hmm. Also, he doesn't charge them. And he doesn't <laughs> charge them, which I'm sure doesn't hurt. But also the precision. Yeah. And the precision. Uh, but it was cool, right? Like even in hearing yeah. him explain something like how he would start to work with a golfer, right? Mm-hmm. Something as simple as like, look, if the exercise calls for whatever reason, we're going to, we're going to lift the ball over your head. He's like, well, let's think about like how we can do that in a way that's going to better replicate sport and actually start to build some of those skills that you need to be like a proficient golfer versus like, you know, maybe the average coach is like, yeah, ball overhead. Let's do it. Let's knock these out. Three sets of 10. You know, you can, Mm -hmm. you can kind of get a little, a little window into how he starts to like, think about programming these things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was really cool. Um, Another thing I thought was interesting was when he talked about the interference effect. Yeah. It made me think about you training for the decathlon (sighs) because it's like not unlike CrossFit, that's true. There's so many different things that require different skills, like the slow, slow twitch, fast mm-hmm. twitch muscles that it's like, if you overtrain one thing, you're inevitably going to, like, if you get too strong, you're going to lose speed. Right. If you get too fast, you're going to be not you're, as strong. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And I, I honestly, I'm glad he brought that up or maybe I brought it up. I think he did. Okay. Oh, the decathlon. No, he brought up your decathlon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's not where I was going either, but what I, what I was going to say is I, yeah, I've consciously thought about that in the past. Like I have avoided doing long distance cardio or at least a lot of it or slow steady state cardio because I was like, Oh, I don't want it to take away from like, you know, all this work I'm doing uh, for sprinting mm-hmm. or explosive jumping. Would or, he say a moderate amount of cardio once a week? You know, he didn't even say that. Well, I think what he, Oh, did he say moderate? Yeah. It's a quote that I wrote down. Oh wow. It's in quotes. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A moderate um, amount of running at lower intensity every week. Oh, okay. Yeah. But what was cool is he was like, you know, with Rich Froning, who I, I think for anyone who does follow CrossFit, like for a long time, his the, the one maybe weakness he had was his endurance. Any of these like long, slow grind endurance events. You know, Chris said that once he started actually adding that sort of training in, not only did he get better endurance, but actually things that most people would associate with like quick twitch muscle fibers, mm-hmm. vertical jump, uh, explosive lifts and movements actually improved as well. Yeah. That really did change my perspective. That was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I'm, I'm actually approaching my own training differently now as a, as a result of it. Yeah. How about you? Where do you stand? Where do, what are you? Quick twitch, slow twitch. <laughs> uh, didn't you say there was a test that we could do? Oh, we did that. Yeah. Oh, the, with the, the space bar space bar. So I'm, what, what does that mean? Where'd you know? I feel like I was kind of like in the middle. <laughs> yeah, you were kind of in the middle. I think you I think you leaned more towards quick twitch. Yeah. Based on your space bar hitting capability. Yeah. Yeah. Quick twitch. Quick twitch. <laughs> cool. I also had a note about Wiz Khalifa in here, but then I had to <laughs> I had to go back and I realized I was trying to I was trying to say something about Jason 
Kalipa. Jason Kalipa. Yes. Kalipa. <laughs> yeah. Always getting confused for Wiz Khalifa. <laughs> we should try and get both on the show, actually. That'd be an interesting podcast. Yeah, that'd be fun. <sighs> Black and yellow. So, okay. That was pretty good. It, this was a great show. I think people are, are going to take a lot from it. Um, the other thing mm-hmm. I think they're going to take from it again is like, you know, some of these people who rise to prominence, they don't necessarily have like the background or have taken the journey you might expect. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, had Chris not again, taken a gamble on himself, he'd probably again, just be, he'd be a C-level executive somewhere doing sales. Yeah. And we, you know, but like took, took that huge risk and now he's doing something really incredible working with incredible athletes and uh, so cool. So I, that, that to me is the, the most inspiring. Very inspiring. So let's talk next week because I have started getting more prepared. We are speaking with Olympic fencer Monica Aximit, and it's another good one. Do you know anything Very about fencing? Exciting. Um, Only what I saw in that movie with Lindsay Lohan where she oh, has a twin sister, but boy. it's really just her. <laughs> Wait, which twin sister? The, the one where they're at summer camp. Is this the one's English ones? Oh, the parent trap parent trap. Yeah. 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 And they, yeah. Modern day classic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, that, I don't think that teaches you anything about fencing, but that's, thank you for bringing up Lindsay Lohan because that's what this podcast has been missing for 17 episodes. Uh, and speaking of 17 episodes, if you are enjoying the show, please leave a rating and a review. And Sonia had a great idea. Do you actually want to share what your idea was about the guests? Um, yeah, sure. If there's you any, looking, you were looking at me like you had no idea what I was <laughs> like. The fine squirrel looked at us last night. Ugh, just the fear in his eyes, <laughs> but also just the wildness. Oh my god! You know what I mean? Yeah, it was that was, yeah. was kind of scary. But um, yeah, if anyone has any guests that they're interested in having a or listening to a conversation. Mm-hmm. Let us know in the reviews and we'll try to get them on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know in the review or another good segue, uh, kengunter.com. We have a, a section of the site where you can contact us there. So shoot me an email. Uh, it's also, it's just, oh God, it's hard to actually say out loud now that I think about it. It's pref, prof, athlete. Oh, that sounds stupid. Go to kengunter.com, hit contact. Yeah. <laughs> <an email>. What? <laughs> It's it's weird. Anyway, oh your email, my email, yeah. Okay. Uh, or hit us up on Instagram. You can also follow us along there. It's at the underscore professional athlete. And yeah, we would love to hear uh, if there's anyone out there that you'd like us to talk to. Please drop us a line. We'll try and get them on the show. Uh, Sonia continues to flood my inbox with requests for The Rock <laughs> and Chris Hemsworth. Yes. Neither <laughs> of which are interested in doing my show right now. But Someday, maybe. Yeah. Point taken. Okay. Uh, with that, we'll see you next week. See ya. <laughs>